Well, one of the great pleasures in life for those of us who enjoy reading is finding a very long series of novels that you can read one after another over a long period of time, you know, to get involved in a really complex unfolding story. So who likes to do that? You know, I think there's a few readers here. It's great. Uh, for instance, I've recently started rereading the Wheel of Time series, uh, which you know it is 14 volumes long. There's about 10,000 pages, so hopefully I'll finish it by the end of the year. Um, and I'm up to volume six at the moment, so I'm doing pretty well. Uh, you know, for those who don't read as much in other media, we have so many streaming services on TV now, so we can have the pick of very long TV series that you can immerse yourselves in, particularly if we happen to be in a lockdown. I think a few of us did that. So this is, it's something that we like to do. Um, this year at St Mark's, we're going to take something of this approach to the Bible. We're going to spend a long time in the same story, uh, immersing ourselves in it. As Jerome uh, mentioned, we're going to be spending, and as I think I mentioned last year, we're going to be spending the whole year today, uh, this year, working through the Gospel of Luke as a church, which is the third book in the New Testament. And I hope that by doing so, by sitting this, with this particular book and the story of Jesus for this whole year, we can start to experience together and understand more deeply the fullness and the wholeness of the gospel and to understand the whole truth about Jesus more deeply and have a chance to let it permeate our lives and permeate our church. So I'd encourage you as we do get into this, perhaps spend some time yourself or in your small group uh, also reading through the gospel of Luke this year. Next week I should have some free copies of the gospel for you to take home if you uh, don't have one already. So before we look at our reading today from Luke 3, I want to just look at the whole book of Luke as a whole um, and what the Gospel of Luke actually is before we get into it. So now you, probably, you might probably know there are the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. They are the first four books of the New Testament. And these four books are four different tellings of the story of the life of Jesus. And they describe who he was, his teaching, his actions, his death and resurrection. Now, all of the four Gospels have different emphases, different ways of telling things, different takes on who Jesus was. And together they add up to this holistic picture of Jesus. And you may know, if you've studied this at all, that Matthew, Mark and Luke, the first three Gospels in particular, they share a lot of the same material, a lot of the same stories, a lot of the same teaching of Jesus, as though they're written from people who had the same sources or, or they read each other while they were doing it. Now, John is somewhat separate, somewhat of a different story, a different take to the other three. But Luke, has, Luke the Gospel has some unique features. It makes it a very interesting Gospel to read. So let's think about that for a minute. So who was Luke? Who was this person who wrote the Gospel? Well, most people believe that the writer of this Gospel, Luke, was someone who became a Christian early in the ministry of the apostles, the apostles perhaps a Gentile convert to Christianity. And we believe he was a companion of the Apostle Paul on some of his missionary journeys. And we know, we think that because of some of the references in the book of Acts, which give us clues about this person. And so at some point, this man, Luke, decided to write the story of Jesus and the early church. And actually, the Gospel of Luke is just part one in his story because it's continued in the sequel, the book of Acts, which was written by the same person, if you read it later. And so Luke wrote this two-volume series which makes up quite a significant proportion of the New Testament, in order to convince others of what God was doing through Jesus and to build up people who believed in him. So we can see his purpose if we go back to chapter 1 of this gospel, verses 1 to 4, the very beginning. So Luke says right as he starts, uh, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, 
just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. So you can hear why he's writing to convince people about what they've heard about Jesus and give them more understanding. And so I hope that this year for us, Luke can do what it did, hopefully for the most excellent Theophilus, um, give us a deeper knowledge of Jesus as we read it together. Now, also, when you compare Luke with some of the other three Gospels, there are some particular themes that Luke has, which are particularly on my mind at the moment. You might notice that we've skipped over to chapter 3 to start this series, because the first few chapters relate to the Christmas story, and we've just read that recently. Uh, We'll come back to that later. But chapter 2 finishes after the Nativity story, with the young boy Jesus, we read, beginning to grow up and mature into his calling as the Messiah. But in those first few chapters, Luke already begins to raise some themes that will continue throughout his gospel as he explains who Jesus was. Particularly, Luke emphasizes to his readers the coming of Jesus into the world as a fulfillment of God's promises to his people so that God was going to bring a time of restoration to the world, that humble and oppressed people were going to benefit from this, they were going to be lifted up. And so Luke is concerned with the way that Jesus brings salvation in many different areas of life, including justice for people who need it, healing for people who need it. There's also a lot in Luke about what we might call inclusion. So there's the concerns of marginalised people, such as women, Gentile people, those who are poor and sick. These are people that Luke was interested in seeing how they related to Jesus. It's also often been noted that Luke is a careful historian. Uh, He pays attention to the details of the time and the place and the people that Jesus encountered and the real effect that Jesus had on their lives. You might see that our reading today, uh, thank you, Jim, for getting through those names, it begins with a precise identification of the time and the political rulers who were around when Jesus uh, came by. Who was in power during this story? When did it happen? Where did it happen? Okay, so the question that we have as we arrive at chapter 3, which we've just started to read, is what this child Jesus is going to do as he begins his adult work and his ministry in Israel Israel, during this particular time, under Tiberius Caesar, under Pontius Pilate, under Herod and Lysanias and all the rest. And so Luke describes John the Baptist here as he came and described the gospel that was coming and encouraged people to prepare for Jesus. Today, I want to draw your attention as we get into this then to the word gospel and what it means because John the Baptist helps us to understand it properly and to frame everything that comes in this gospel. So let's ask, this is a simple question, might not often be asked, what is the gospel? Or what is a gospel? What do you think when you hear that word? What does it mean for you? So the word is actually thrown around a lot in the church. It can mean different things at different times to different people, the gospel. Sometimes it's used to describe literally the kind of book that we're reading now, the gospel of Luke. It's a kind of story. Sometimes it's used to describe the Christian message of salvation. How can I be saved? That's the gospel. And believing the gospel is what you do when you become a Christian. Perhaps believe that Jesus died for your sins so that you can be forgiven. So what does the word gospel mean to you? Well, I want to think about it today, about what it means in its full sense in the book that we're going to read in the gospel of Luke. What is the gospel of Luke? So 
You may, not, you may have heard this before. The word gospel, or what we, we translate gospel, it's a translation of a Greek word, euangelion, euangelion, which literally means good news, good message. Euangelion means it's a good news. So the gospel of Luke would literally be the good news that Luke is telling. I understand that the use of this word, uh, the good news, comes from the practice in the ancient world of what would happen when a new emperor was crowned in the Roman Empire. Now, believe it or not, this was the days before the internet and before telephones. So the message of an event like that, a new emperor, would be spread by messengers, people on horses or runners and the like, who would go throughout the empire telling everyone the good news about the new emperor that had been crowned and the great new era that was going to get started under his rule. It was always good news, never bad news for some reason. Um, An analogy for us might be election night broadcasts where we find out who the new prime minister and the government's going to be. We'll have something like that in a few months. The bearers of good news, we hope. So the gospel in the Roman Empire was the new... in this case, was this good news. There's a new leader of the empire, and in their mind, this is a great thing for everyone. It's something that everyone should hear and understand and shape their life around. That's the gospel. So what Luke then and the other gospel writers actually do then is say, this is our gospel, and we are speaking about Jesus. This is what is happening when Jesus came. A new king is coming. A new age is starting. It's good news. It should be shared with everyone. It's the gospel. So that's the gospel of Jesus. Whatever else the word means, that's the big overall meaning of it. So John the Baptist, we read, in the age of Tiberius Caesar, he comes to announce to people the good news of of Jesus coming, the real king. And he tells people, get ready and embrace this new reality, this good news. Now, John the Baptist has already been introduced to us if we read the gospel earlier in Luke. He's essentially Jesus' older cousin. That's how I think of him. Uh, He was the son of Elizabeth and Zechariah, we read, and John was only born slightly before Jesus himself. Um, We know even as a baby he was aware that Jesus was special uh, when um, Elizabeth and Mary spent some time together. So Luke connects this message of John that he brings, this good news of of God's coming king, to the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, we read, and who, who looked forward to the Lord restoring Israel and bringing salvation to the world. So Luke here quotes Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3 to 5, as we read, saying this is what John was doing. So Isaiah says, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, and the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. So Luke says, John is what Isaiah was talking about. He is this voice calling in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord to come, sharing the good news that he is coming and bringing salvation with him. So we can see in verses 7 to 14 of chapter 3 that what John's mission, we can see what his mission as this herald or messenger of the good news about Jesus actually entailed. He came, what, did he, what did this message mean? So we can see what he did was encourage people to repent, to prepare their hearts to receive what God was going to do, to be ready for God's coming to this new, in the Lord, this new king. And that's why he's called John the Baptist, because he was known for encouraging people to go through a baptism, a washing of water, 
that signified that they were getting ready for God's king to come, for the Lord to return. A washing of water, it signified repentance and forgiveness of sins, being washed clean and ready. As we will see next week, that's not the same thing as baptism in the name of Jesus that we might have had when we became Christians, but it was a way of the people preparing for Jesus to come to receive the good news in their life. And so this quote from Isaiah describes the coming of the Lord, the good news as though literally the Lord is going to be returning to Jerusalem in person after being away for a long time. The people should get ready as though, this, as though someone, as the king is coming to them on the roads. They should prepare for that, make the land as smooth as possible so his coming is quick, easy and honourable. The land itself should be reshaped, you know, so fill in all the valleys so he doesn't have to go up and down, cut through the mountains so he doesn't have to climb over, straighten out the roads, cover them with new asphalt, make it so easy for God to come. And John says this, this idea is a metaphor for the people removing from their lives everything that will be an obstacle for the coming of the Lord into their hearts and receiving him as he wants to come. Getting rid of their sin and distractions, their failures, their intentional wrongdoing, receiving the good news easily and being forgiven and have those things taken away. And John says as we read, this is a very urgent thing for them to do because it's happening right now. The Lord is coming. He says, like a tree, someone's holding an axe at the roots. He's ready to make a swing. Once he does, he can't go back. So John, as we can see, is like this messenger of the good news. He said, it's like there's a new emperor coming. He's been installed, he's coming, and he's someone who might be interested in what's happening in his, era, in his empire, getting things sorted out, dealing with corruption, get it, setting things right. So you better be ready. The Lord is coming. And so various groups who came to see John and listened to what he had to say, they asked him what they needed to repent of, what they needed to actually do to be ready for this good news to come. So the crowd says, well, what should we do then? He says, well, you need to share your wealth generously with people in need. If you have two, two shirts, give people the other one. The tax collectors say, well, what should we do? They say, well, be honest. Don't just take what you need. Don't cheat people. The soldiers ask, and he says, well, you, avoid, you need to use your power honestly. Don't get an advantage. Basically saying everyone needs to sort themselves out in practical, ethical ways so that when the Lord comes, they're ready to receive him. And when he doesn't find them in need of judgment. John makes the point in verse 8 also, when the Lord returns, it won't be just enough to be a member of this nation, to be a child of Abraham, to have said the words or to have the name or title of a, of a child of God. They actually need to behave like they are because they will be shown for what they are when God comes. And that's an issue that Jesus will take up again and again, that people actually need to receive and be changed by the gospel, not just rely on their ancestry their religious affiliation and those sorts of things to get them through. It's about who, how we really receive God. So this first reading, this first, even just 14 verses, you can see it's delivered us a large chunk of material to get through and digest. The big ideas. And that's why it's good to take time to sit with this, work through it slowly. So as we do that and let it sort of permeate a little, I want, us to, get, I want to give us a few challenges, things to think about today and to act on from what we see in here, in this uh, passage here. So firstly, I have a challenge, which is something I think is a challenge for the year, for us. What is the gospel to you? What is the gospel to you? Now that word may mean very little to you. Maybe something you've only heard in passing. 
Or it may be a word that you hold very dear as part of your relationship to God. The reality is that many people, even those of us who've been Christians for many years, often we do have a very small vision of what the gospel of Jesus actually is. For instance, we may be familiar with presentations which rightly encourage people to trust in Jesus, to forgive their sins, and to have faith in the cross of Jesus as a bridge between us and God. That is part of the gospel. That is true. But the gospel that Luke describes in this book has more, a bit more to say than that. It's a big, multifaceted picture of what God is doing in the world and what he is going to do when he comes, when this good news becomes true. It's a full message. It declares what it means for the new era of the kingdom of God to begin with Jesus. It changes everything, every part of our lives, every part of our world. The Lord is coming into the world and coming with him, as we'll see, as Luke says, is this movement, a movement of reconciliation between people and between God and people, a movement of justice, of restoration, that things need to be set right. It's a movement of human wholeness, of peace, of transformation. It's a, it's a movement that ends with the world being filled with the glory of God and human beings being filled with his spirit. That is the gospel message that Luke proclaims and that John came to prepare people to receive. That's our gospel. It's the foundation of our church today. So I think we should be learning and living the whole gospel as followers of Jesus. So I ask, what is the gospel to you? Have you heard and believed the whole gospel and received it? Is there some aspect of this gospel that you need to learn more about this year or put more into practice? The second thing to think about a challenge. So John the Baptist reminds us and challenges us, it's not just enough to hear the gospel, it's not even just enough to believe it. It has to be received in our lives in a way that makes a difference. John was very concerned with repentance, and that word comes up a lot. And his baptism was a baptism of repentance and forgiveness for sin. Repentance is a word, um, as the Bible uses it, it means to have a new mind, to have a change of perspective, a complete change of orientation of the direction of our lives, so that we are ready to receive God's presence into our lives and so that involves the practice of changing our mind, changing our orientation, removing the things, the attitudes and the actions that are in the way of us experiencing and receiving the gospel to prepare our way. So the question we ask is, what is it that we need to repent of? What is it that you need to repent of today? To come for forgiveness and to prepare our hearts for God. So I'd like us to invite God to talk, to talk to us about that. I want us to listen carefully again to the words of Isaiah and Luke and invite us to hear the invitation that John gave us to prepare ourselves to receive Jesus and to hear the gospel in its fullness today. So I'm going to read again from Isaiah chapter 40 and invite you to listen carefully and slowly this word that God is speaking to us. Let's make him, let's get ready to receive him. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, and the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. Lord, we ask that as we listen to this word that we are preparing our hearts to receive you, to understand and to believe the good news. 
I pray that we would be ready. You would call us to repentance and give us the spirit of change. We thank you for the, the coming of your king, the new kingdom in this world, and we pray that we would receive and be part of what you're doing this year. Please help us to listen to your story and to take it into our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.